0: Alexa, Alexa. Alexa. Stop. 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 A podcast about how technology is changing our lives. With Robert Belgrave
1: and Jim balls. Welcome, you're listening to Alexa Stop, episode four I might tell you of the podcast that's all about how technology is changing people's lives. I am Jim Bowes and I am sat opposite a man that they like to call Robert
0: Belgrave. Hello everybody, back for episode four and what an episode it'll be. I am so excited about this episode.
1: We've got two fantastic guests who will tell you a bit more about later on. How are you feeling today, Jim? Feeling good. Um, Yeah, this is one that we've been planning for a little while. It's the health tech episode and and really health tech has been quite fashionable for a little while. Lots of things going on, um, lots of you know, the ability to do sort of diagnostic tests online. I've got something to tell you about that later on. The quantified self. The quantified self. We're going to talk about that uh, when we talk about the hype curve. Um, and uh, I guess we'll let's kick things off with Rob. Tell me something technology has done for you this month.
0: Well, I recently returned from a rather delightful holiday in Croatia, and technology enabled me to stay connected throughout. In fact, Uh, one of the things we did on our holiday was do a bit of sea kayaking and I was able to take my phone which is now fully waterproof as many phones are these days in the kayak take videos of the seagulls who were very surprised I'm not sure anyone has ever taken a selfie of seagulls at sea before they looked slightly baffled by the whole experience but it was it was awesome to be able to stay connected to the world lying on a beach in Croatia and it meant instead of having to read my book I could read all the uh, curious and interesting things online that I often read to contribute to this podcast. With
1: you, quite literally, sent me a video from you kayaking. I did, I did, which looked beautiful. Current
0: status: kayaking across the Croatian Sea. It was, uh, it was delightful.
1: I was sending you prep work for, <laughs> for this recording, and uh, so I guess what we should do is uh, lots to talk about. But we've got some standard segments of the show that we like to cover that aren't specifically health related. So let's get stuck into those with the news. Um, shall I do a jingle? I,
0: oh, I think I think you're going to have to do the
1: jingle, Jim. It's the news, it's the news, it's the news?
0: It's definitely the news. Do
1: they get worse every month? Uh, maybe one of these
0: days we'll actually have to get a keyboard involved and maybe we'll give our Russian friend a call.
1: Absolutely, we should definitely do that. Um, so, uh, I've uh, new news around here, you've had a haircut.
0: I have, and, and so have you. And may I say you're looking remarkably Shoreditch in, in your, your new haircut. Were you, were you set upon by a Shoreditch barber,
1: by any chance? Ryan, who I work with, said I look like I'm from Love Island, which is a... Yeah. <laughs> A television program. Uh,
0: listener, all I can tell you is that I'm sitting opposite a man wearing a T-shirt with a sort of Hawaiian beach print, uh, with a lovely graded haircut. Who who looks every bit as has got a j- fade. He's just got off the plane from Cyprus, and uh,
1: this this T-shirt um, is a Hockney. Oh, really? Um, and so, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm clearly a Heathen. I should have known that. <laughs> I went to the Hockney exhibition at okay. Tate, so you know, oh, I right. get I get a few sort of extra points for that. You Dragged
0: yourself out of the gutter there.
1: So tell me about who cuts your hair.
0: Uh, my hair is cut by none other than Laurel, of Laurels in Richmond. Uh, what a man he is.
1: And what's the most advanced piece of technology he uses to do that haircut?
0: That's a good question. He's he's a bit of an analogue man, it's got to be said.
1: <laughs> the scissors are the most up-to-date.
0: He's all about the scissors. The clippers rarely come out for my, uh, my fro. Um, I don't know, maybe the hairdryer? The hairdryer. <laughs> <That's laughs> Pretty high, high tech. tech. Yeah, been around a while.
1: <laughs> Maybe we should move ourselves on to some proper technology yeah. news. Yeah,
0: let's do it.
1: Um, so um, I- I've called this uh, the magical world of Amazon because it feels like there's an Amazon announcement every single month.
0: God, they're really building up ahead of steam at the moment, aren't they? And um, I, you know, I really don't think it's going to be long before they're the most valuable company in the world. I think they're going to overtake Google and Apple and Exxon and all the previous top guys. Um Amazon, for me, is an unstoppable force right now. And, and, you know, the acquisition that was announced over the last week of Whole Foods, one of the things we'll talk about, right, it, it was a fascinating story for lots of reasons. What, what were your thoughts on it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I just thought, uh, I thought, well, can I remember the first time I went into a Whole Foods? So firstly, I'll put that question to you. Can you remember the first time you went into a Whole Foods? I can. It was in
0: San Francisco and I was blown away. Like, what is this paradise of cuisine that I've entered
1: I was in um, Los Angeles in 2003 the first time I went into Whole Foods and I just remember seeing rocket piled high <laughs> and you could shovel it you could shovel rocket to your heart's content it wasn't yeah. in prepackaged packets Limitless like-
0: kale. <laughs> boundless kale boundless <laughs> kale and pa- beautifully stacked
1: towers of apples as far as the eye could see
0: (laughs) centimeter perfect right i mean that's the thing that really blows me away is that someone spends their life in there stacking avocado in a perfect pyramid
1: i saw on um, television uh, last night actually that sales of avocado have overtaken sales of oranges in the uk
0: Uh, i can
1: believe that Uh, it's it's one of the most in demand things these days is because you've got to be able to smash your avocado and put it on your sourdough haven't you well i mean what else would you take an instagram photo of on a sunday and, of course, that's what uh, Amazon are trying to tap into. They want to be involved in people's sourdough.
0: <laughs> they, they do. And uh, tenuous dough reference. I think the thing that was, was really fascinating about the deal for me was that Amazon paid 13 billion US dollars to acquire Whole Foods, but their market capitalisation went up to, by 15 billion dollars the following day, which, for those of you not familiar with how the stock markets work, means that they bought Whole Foods for free and made a $2 billion profit by doing so just like that just like that now that strikes me as a good deal i don't know about you that's not sourdough (laughs) that's that's rich dough i don't know sweet dough sweet dough (laughs) dough. yeah let's go with that sweet sweet dough so um know, fascinating And, and i think the thing that the other side of this story other than the you know the dough side is culture you know i think for me whole foods and amazon are businesses that i would have described as having diametrically opposed cultures and so it's gonna be really interesting to see if that wonderful kale pile that we've become so accustomed to we walk into a whole foods will disappear in favor of more frugal more amazon-esque behaviors that you know amazon has been well known for in in jeff bezos's shadow its whole lifetime really
1: it's interesting now this uh, month i was at an aar event where uh, tracy follows was talking she's a futurist tracy is incredible and uh, she's worked on compiling a list, an index of future fit brands. Okay. And uh, so up well at the top are people like loads of Unilever's brands. Uh, Jaguar are quite high. Google are way up there. So fit in what context? So that's it. they've come up with a bunch of ways to measure whether a brand is future fit. So your attitude towards sustainability, your attitude towards your workforce, um, how agile you are. But if for them, agility is uh, how much money you've got available to you and how you invest it and how your ability to pivot your business model right so fit as in sort of going to stand the test of time
0: focusing on the right more important things today as opposed to maybe the things of the previous decades that some businesses find themselves stuck with and anchored down by
1: And by their metrics, one of the things I found fascinating was that Amazon actually weren't right up there at the top. They were in the top 100 um, when graded in the UK, but they were 84th. Um, And I think that was because they lack transparency in some of the ways that they do things. I'm not
0: at all surprised to hear that. I mean, my business, Wirehive is an Amazon partner with their their web services platform. We do a lot of work with them. And the product's great, but I feel genuinely sorry for a lot of the staff we work with who are part of Amazon because it's just so alien, honestly, to the other tech businesses that sort of, you know, massively successful tech businesses, the Microsofts, the Googles, who we're also partnered with, just a completely different atmosphere there. So I can't quite see how that fits with what's going on with Whole Foods. And, and just to sort of finish off on Amazon, I guess, it's also been announced that they're going to require Slack, which for those that aren't familiar with it is a sort of chat system that's used by loads of businesses. Fastest growing piece of software ever made. And the valuation that's been put on Slack works out to be about six thousand US dollars per user, Incredible. which is insane. And again, that is a a business with great culture and an amazing sort of creative identity and i just can't see how that fits into the amazon ecosystem so it's gonna be really interesting to see how these you know these acquisitions amazon are making you know what is the impact on these businesses as they merge them in
1: they've got this crazy mashup coming together that, that brings together you know bots with retail outlets and actually the latest in the echo family has been released which is called the amazon dash wand which is a barcode scanner uh, and, and thing that automatically adds things to a shopping list basically right. so you can see where they're going all you? of it's sort of starting to come yeah. together but anyway it's probably enough amazon for for one month absolutely but i'm sure we'll be revisiting them now this is a story that you were talking about about paper robotics
0: yeah so just a quick one on this i mean i i absolutely love the crazy startups and, and technology innovations that come out of japan and there was a a thing that i saw online which was this Thing that a japanese company had come up with which was paper robots so they've created a system whereby from a flat piece of paper you can turn the paper into a full robot that can move and you know clearly the paper has some special things sort of printed into it but it's similar to the drawable circuits that you may have seen that came out of tokyo university as well so that is a pen that has a special kind of i suppose sort of filament in it ink compound that you can draw on surfaces and it is electrically conductive and you can literally draw circuit boards with it which is insane and the opportunities there for teaching are incredible but actually also for product design and for prototyping you know really amazing and the thing is with these circuits they're actually pretty hardy once they've been drawn so you might think oh paper robots you know pen drawn circuitry that's not going to last it's going to disintegrate after a week or two apparently not apparently the things that are actually very robust so weird startups from tokyo university it's uh incredible stuff coming out of that side of the world at the moment
1: it's just fascinating to think that you know someone might be able to post you a robot
0: yeah they really will i mean imagine that right like as a marketing thing i don't know sky are launching the next series of whatever and you get a build your own robot at home that then fully like takes flight and moves around that you can fold together like origami robots right it's crazy
1: it quite literally walks over to the drone you already own and starts to fly <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i mean I, I don't want to plug the new transformers movie but as a transformers fan as a
1: boy i think it's uh sort of coming that coming around full sort robots of color, in there? disguise <laughs> as paper as paper and, and i've added so this this month i have added an and finally which is sort of just like you know the bit at the end of the real news uh, where they sort of have something slightly light-hearted
0: okay well I, i've got one so um I read on the news this week that on the central line in London during this heatwave, it will be above the legal temperature to transport cattle, which, you know, having been on the central line today, I can attest to. So I I thought that maybe that's a a good newsworthy point to end on.
1: It's a beautiful, fantastic thing. Um, uh, And when was the last time you transported cattle on the tube?
0: Funny you should ask. It's been a few months. But, you know, now and again, I I do find the need to, to drag my bovine friends onto the tube. But on the subject of bovines, all I could really say is that my uncle ran one of the first organic milk farms in the country, long before people ate avocado and cared about organic milk. So uh, shout out to Will Best for for pioneering work in that field.
1: Bringing it all back round to Whole Foods and to Amazon, and, and maybe as a footnote, it's actually officially 30 years since the GIF was invented as well this month. And the war rages on, whether it's GIF or GIF,
0: clearly it is GIF and I'll hear no more on the matter. I, I didn't even know no, that was a conversation.
1: No, <laughs> okay, no, no more on the matter. Okay. okay, sorry. I'm glad, I'm glad we agree. I'm glad we agree. Um, so, moving on, um, uh, yeah. that was, the news. That was, that the, was news. the news. that was the news. That was the news. That was the news? Yeah, that was Every the Every month, news. Uh, Rob, you share with us an amazing story from your CTO. Could you tell us what he's been up to this month? I think probably largely due to the heat, he's had a bit of a dormant month in the crazy department,
0: but he recently has had some work done on his house, had a small extension done, very nice in, his,
1: uh, in the rural. I wonder what a CTO's extension looks like uh so everyone else's extension yeah i think quite normal sadly i wish i had an anecdote for you there
0: but um one of the things he did after doing that was get a quote from landscape gardening you know he's got two young daughters wants to have a nice garden and he decided that landscape gardening was overpriced so he set about creating an automated watering system for his garden which he has now fully implemented so the latest addition to my cto's internet connected house is a watering system he can monitor remotely
1: and uh I hope one day I have a garden big enough to deserve such a thing. It's a beautiful thing. In the show notes, Rob, do you know what it says here? This is how much I know about gardening and really feel at one with gardening. I've put for myself, say something about gardening. And I think that's really probably as good as I can do when it comes to gardening.
0: Well, the magnificent Louise Bliss, who's featured many times on this podcast, recently grew some strawberries I saw from uh, the wonder that is social media. So there we go. True story. Jim grows strawberries in his garden. There's a gardening (laughs) quote for you.
1: So every month we also take something from the hype curve doesn't really have a jingle let's make it from the hype curve from the hype curve and this month we're talking about uh, so this is a good one because we're talking about the quantified self and the quantified self is important in hype curve terms because it's no longer on the hype curve so i'm sort of cheating a little bit so we're, we're, have we have we have crossed the chasm yet we've crossed the chasm it's gone mainstream okay. so therefore it no longer so fitbits and following yourself in my fitness pal and and health kit being on all of our phones yeah. it's all integrated into all the smartphones these days isn't it so step, I thought that counts and everything else. I thought what we should do is throw ourselves into a sort of testing and quantified self culture, uh, and I thought what we could do is uh, order ourselves a self-testing medical kit and live on the next podcast test ourselves for some disease. I've picked. What were you thinking? Uh, I've picked celiac disease. I've already paid and ordered mine.
0: <laughs> right, I see. So cart before the horse. Have, did you want one for me? No. Okay. Well, I,
1: there's a there's a collection of um, you know much worse what, tests. What can I do? I've always
0: <laughs> wanted to do the forty three me test and do. The DNA test. Um, I'm half Iranian with Persian descent, so I'm very interested to see where where my uh, genes and DNA came from. So maybe that's my one. Maybe I'll, I'll I'll order a DNA test, and you can do your celiac test, and we'll we'll do some sort of live reveal in a really because you know exciting way.
1: Every so often, when I'm incredibly bloated from drinking ten pints, I sort of make out I'm wheat intolerant. So I thought <laughs> it was time to really find out if that was <laughs> true. That one
0: out. Once <laughs> and for all.
1: Yeah, and th- I'm I'm hoping that there is a bit of something so that I can still keep saying that. But we'll know the, the answer well, on whether it's check true. Check out next month. Um, good. I'm pleased about that. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, it's going to be over two shows. We'll do that next month. And then retro tech I'd like to bring back. Hmm. This is a cool health thoughts. tech episode. So I, what I did is I looked into health tech I'd like to bring back. And in the 1950s, um, there were fitness machines that just sort of jiggled people
0: oh yeah for sort of big elastic bands that...
1: and i thought it's it's been a long time it's been a long time since there's been a big jiggling band oh come on jim jim gym... <laughs> I'm sure
0: that's still a gym fad in a new form right isn't there a plate that people stand on now that basically does the same thing so
1: it turned out i looked into it that someone had someone had been fined for claiming that this actually made you any fitter because someone had brought out a modern version of it um so I think though there's nothing like you know because really maybe it does release a bit of dopamine or something if something's jiggling you a bit yeah. uh, then maybe it does make you feel better um, I, I don't know that was that was that was my sort of tech I wanted to bring back because it's health related I, like it. I think I'd probably go for cigarettes uh, what I like is that the, the, the,
0: the... <laughs> <laughs> are they health tech no but they were
1: That's <laughs> suppose they were weren't they <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, just, I just fancy a cigarette.
1: I think. I mean, but, obviously,
0: e-cigarettes are health tech. Yeah, I suppose they are. I suppose they are. Although, my friend, I probably shouldn't say this. I'm sure a lot of people enjoy vaping who listen to this podcast. But uh, Google popcorn lung. I'm told by a doctor friend of mine, and uh, we'll leave that there pretty dark apparently and no one basically no one's quite sure whether it's actually doing any damage or not the only thing they're sure about is it does less damage than smoking so i
1: suppose that's something that is something um, so i want to talk about some things that got us into health tech. So, we've got a couple of guests who are sitting here quietly trying not to laugh while we talk And, and i always feel it's like an amazing honor that people find anything we say mildly amusing so let that- alone sit here with us <laughs> while we're while we're recording half a podcast what it does is it makes me like have a desire to like push what we say to see if you can remain inaudible. Um, but, uh, but, but don't feel that you have to, but we will introduce you properly as if you weren't here. And there'll be a little bit of jazz in the background that gets edited in afterwards. Um, but there's a couple of health tech related things that I wanted to talk about. One of them was the first health tech thing that I thought was really genuinely amazing is a clip on device for an iPhone. It's called Peak Vision and it lets someone traveling around on a bike in, you know, somewhere like Kenya, do proper eye tests that get sent back to Moorfields Eye Hospital, all just using this little clip-on Device wow. lens uh, and and uh, an what, iPhone to
0: to evaluate subscription level and all the kind of to, classic like, eye do a, test stuff for for glasses basically to
1: do proper eye tests, to do like retina scans to spot actual like genuine eye diseases wow. and actually you can order one for 170 quid I was like tempted that's but, pretty cool but a celiac test kit was cheaper so <laughs> I, I was like which well the
0: 43 andme me test is quite expensive so maybe I'll go for an eye testing kit instead and uh, confirm my 2020 vision
1: yes you have to claim that it's for educational purposes not medical purposes. If you want to just order it online, because um, okay. I guess you have to be some kind of qualified eye doctor. But I saw the the guy that started it speak at a charity technology conference a couple of years ago, and I was just really—it was probably the first time I saw something that was cheap and transportable that could make a really fundamental difference to to people's lives and stop you know thousands of people um, going blind.
0: Yeah, and I think, look, that that links nicely to the interviews we'll be doing shortly. We're on a show called The Big Fix It, which was this amazing BBC show where these incredible sort of mix of innovators were producing technology that was genuinely changing people's lives. And the thing that I found so impressive about it was obviously the innovation was incredible, but the cost was so low of the things they were producing, like sub £100 for genuinely transformational pieces of kit. And those were knocked up bespoke. So the production cost would be even lower if they were being mass manufactured. So I, I think it is amazing the, the revolution in fabrication, 3D printing, et cetera, and what that's opening up in terms of, you know, the sort of thing that has to be tailored quite carefully to an individual that really wasn't possible before. And also just more general things like the eye testing kit that you talk about.
1: And there's two more things that I've sort of noticed this month. One is the coming of smart bandages that will use a 5G to notify when they need changing and other stuff that bandages need to tell you. Um, And this is being developed in Swansea at the Swansea Bay City region. It's going to have £1.3 billion worth of investment over the next 15 years. And the aim is to bring together data and health diagnostic companies into into swansea
0: wow What well, to sort of create a kind of always cambridge hub but for health tech stuff down in swansea exactly yeah oh, that sounds great
1: but perhaps most importantly of all uh, the next smart thing that i've really loved this month is the smart hairbrush <laughs> Yeah, When you you sent over the show plan,
0: I had a good smirk at this one. Do tell us more about the smart hairbrush, Jim.
1: So L'Oreal and and, and Withings have developed, and what it does is it gives you advice. Uh, It analyses the patterns that you brush your hair and how hard you brush your hair uh, and uh, sort of gives you tips about how you could be more effective at brushing your hair. And, uh, you know, you talk about this being very accessible. Under $200 is the anticipated price for the smart hairbrush.
0: I think the thing that I, when I read about it, after you sent it over, the thing that really got me was the frizziness advice that it offers
1: frizziness advice that was my favorite based on, <laughs> uh, based, on based on your brushing patterns yeah i thought that was wonderful um, and then finally, I think health tech is not all just about smart devices, although that's a big part of it. One of the stats that I re- read was that less than 10% of US hospitals are actually digital in their nature and still use fax quite extensively to send around paper records. So whilst it's really exciting to talk about all the amazing devices, actually, there's some stuff that we in digital would take for granted that actually a lot of health organizations still haven't done and a lot of passing around of paper files. So, Oh, it boggles the mind. And
0: my uncle, Joss, was involved in running a business for some time that tried to digitise all the health records and was met with such immense resistance from the NHS and the government that he ended up developing a different business. And he went on to win the Queen's Award for Innovation, creating an MRI scanner for horses, right? So he had the skill to do this. Like, you know, I I don't doubt that he could have made it happen, but there was just so many... There was so much fear about taking those records online. And I I think it's a risk-reward thing, ultimately. And it does boggle the mind how far behind some of the more traditional industries are purely out of fear. Like Le- Laura is the same. My other half's a lawyer and she always tells me about the paperwork they have to do. And I just can't quite get my head around the fact that they are still working from paper. Like you say, in digital, we take so much of this stuff for granted, but on the subject of fax machines, I'm just gonna say this. Digital transformation means you're not allowed to send faxes anymore. So for all of you out there going through the weird digital businesses now, throw your fax machines away, it's not allowed. No, I do not accept fax and nor should you. Even if you're Phil Collins
1: planning a divorce? I feel like there's a story there I don't know. Okay, good. Uh, (laughs) I believe he once said he was getting divorced by fax. It's a simple story. There there is a story, and and a a good one too. Um, uh, Shall we uh, wrap up on those health tech stories and invite our guests into the studio, even though they're kind of already sat here?
0: Yeah, so uh, why don't we take a quick break just to reshuffle, and yeah, after the break, we look forward to welcoming Julie and Emma to the Alexa Stop studio for what I'm sure will be a fascinating interview. And welcome back, everyone. I think it's only fair that we let Jim introduce our amazing guests today because if it wasn't for Jim, they simply wouldn't be here. Jim, how do you know these two wonderful women?
1: I mean, I haven't created them on this earth, but I did invite them. So I guess that will count for the reason that they're in this slightly hot room right now. And so our guests, how do I know them? Um, our guests are Julie Dodd, who is Digital Transformation and Communication Director at Parkinson's UK. And I know Julie because I've worked with her uh, for quite a while now, working on wonderful UX stuff for lots of amazing organisations. And she was working with me at Manif- when uh, she decided to join Parkinson's UK. So I don't know what I did to drive her away, but I'm sure she'll tell <laughs> us. She liked you enough
0: to come and be a
1: guest all the same. So yeah. that's something. Uh, hello, Julie. Hello. And we're also joined by Emma Lawton, who is, you've got so many titles. Uh, it's <laughs> unbelievable. So you, you are devices, apps and gadget strategist at Parkinson's UK.
2: Which I think makes me sound like Inspector Gadget a little bit. <laughs> we should just call you that's that. a wonderful thing. If <laughs> yeah.
1: you have got like a coat with like go-go gadget arms? I'm going to
2: get
1: one. You're also a creative strategy expert for a think tank
2: yeah so travel that is it's about travel random. yeah
1: um, and you do some writing you've written a book called yeah. dropping the p-bomb
2: that's right yeah first thank plug of the book you. thank you for the plug <laughs>
1: um and also you uh, speak at lots of events i've watched several of you, you things of you talking um on youtube so yes. i've got some questions about that later
2: excellent i'm a bit scared okay fine <laughs>
1: <laughs> but um, a lot of your career has been as a, a designer and then a creative uh, director
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So um, I sort of went up from kind of junior designer all the way through to creative director, sort of working on some really interesting projects, but really getting into tech in the last couple of years. Um, And then working with parkinsons uk has been really interesting to look at kind of gadgets a little bit more because i'm a bit of a nerd on the sly i think and julie and i have similar nerd tendencies
3: yeah we bonded through our, our mutual yeah. nerdiness
0: nerds
1: are always welcome in the electric yeah. option yeah <laughs> definitely yeah so well let's 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 kick off with that then so for you both what is the one gadget or item of tech that you could not live without
3: ooh that's tough so i'm i'm torn in two directions so there's a bit of me that just loves robots I just love robots. Robots and, are cool. Um, I'm a big fan of the German robotic band Compressor, who do who do performances. So there's a bit of me that just loves robots and really excited about the future of robotics. But actually, it's really boring basic productivity tools that make my life better. Um, I've recently been I- engaging with uh, uh, an automated assistant to try and help me schedule meetings, and that is pretty bloody exciting. Is it
1: Amy or Andrew? Amy. Yeah, good on Amy.
3: Yeah, so yeah, Amy is my best friend.
0: I once saw a real-life executive assistant have a full-blown argument with Amy (laughs) and subsequently tell their boss that she thought that Amy was Scandinavian because she
1: was very rude. (laughs) Turns out she's a bot. (laughs)
0: Turns out she's a robot.
1: Um, Earlier on we were talking about uh, paper robots, but uh, that that you, you know, literally paper that is a robot.
0: Yeah, we think male robots
1: are going to be a thing. I'll, I'll show you that later. And Emma, what's the tech that you couldn't live without?
2: uh i'm biased i guess because the documentary i was in just before christmas they created a piece of bespoke tech for me so i have to be biased and say that because when do you ever get tech created for you nowadays
1: so you're like under like you know literal agreement that you must say that piece of tech
2: yeah but totally it does it does it does help me a lot I mean it's kind of it's made me really cocky about drawing now I mean I kind of got to the point where I can draw or write and now I can I draw things for the sake of drawing things I'm like yeah I'll just sketch that up
1: so so if we roll back a little bit yeah um, uh you've got parkinsons yeah, and you you're you're young uh, so you, this is an audio sort of uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, format and so we should establish that um uh, so um and you found out when you were 29
2: 29 yeah so um, i'm 30 i keep forgetting how old i am i'm 33 now i'm nearly 34 but i keep aging myself and saying i'm 34 so yeah i've had it a couple of years
1: and so let's let's start with because i think most people would think that parkinsons is something that you get when you're older and mm-hmm. um, let's start with the basics what what is parkinsons
2: it's a really complex neurological condition that's degenerative which means it gets worse over time and it's different in every person I think it's safe to say. I mean you could line up 10 people with Parkinson's and they'd all present completely different symptoms. There's a lot of really kind of motor symptoms so things like the tremor but not everyone has a tremor. Um, it's really rare when you see someone that doesn't have a tremor and they say Parkinson's but it's uh, it's kind of it seems unusual but actually it's more common than you'd think. Um, and there's kind of lots of non-motor stuff like temperature control mood depression you know all sorts of things that you just wouldn't even expect that kind of come into play it's it's basically caused by a lack of dopamine in the body your body stops producing dopamine and dopamine is the kind of it's the chemical that's responsible for all these things that communicates with your muscles but it also is responsible for the things i just mentioned as well so it's a uh, it's a pretty complex condition that changes every single day. You can't look at a day and think, oh, I did this yesterday. I'll do it again tomorrow and I'll have a good day. It's a, it's a pretty difficult one to manage.
1: And so it must have been a huge thing in your life and, and uh, to, I guess, maybe in the first case, just uh, accept that you have Parkinson's.
2: Yeah I wasn't expecting it definitely because I wasn't you know what you sort of said you know rightly so most people have this kind of perception of who will get Parkinson's and I didn't think I was someone that would get it but actually I had this really weird sense of relief because they told me there was a number of things it could be and actually Parkinson's was the only one I wouldn't die from so I was thinking Phew, you know that was kind of my first response was phew, I'm actually not going to die and so i have kind of gone on like that really <laughs> that's kind of been my attitude to it.
1: Looking at it positively, and I know what you do now. A or part of what you do, is um, speak as a sort of a ba- ambassador for Parkinson's UK. So maybe, Julie, you could come in here and tell us um, who Parkinson's UK are and, and what they do.
3: Sure. So um, Parkinson's UK is um, the biggest in Europe charity helping to try and find better treatments and a cure for Parkinson's, but also being there to help people living with Parkinson's day to day. So we provide a range of support services, we provide advice, we provide, we try and provide anything that, that we can do to help people who are living with Parkinson's out
1: And so I know you as a sort of consultant and someone that did like lovely research projects. And to me, it looked like you had the dream life. So what made you choose to take a role with Parkinson's UK?
0: (laughs) Um,
3: Lots of factors. So you're right. Being a consultant in the technology world is a lovely job. But actually having the chance to work in a role, bringing about technology driven change in an organisation that's really forward thinking you can achieve much, much more. And I'm really lucky that that our CEO, Steve Ford, is really, really pro-technology as well. So we're like a little technology-minded team trying to find ways to use any and all digital technologies to help people affected by Parkinson's. And is
1: it fair to say for people living with Parkinson's that really the um, things available to help deal with the symptoms haven't changed hugely for quite a period of time or...?
3: No, no, things are really changing fast. That's one of the things that's most exciting. It's why we brought Emma into work with us as a devices and apps strategist, because where we were originally looking for better treatments in a cure, purely in the clinical research field, which is really important, and we will get to better drug-based treatments. Actually, there's an increasing number of devices out there and apps that can help the management of any range of Parkinson's symptoms day to day. And we think, We should get as many of those into people's hands as possible, as soon as possible.
2: And tech's really having to kind of step up because there's not been any kind of new medication in about 50, 60 years. So um, tech is having to kind of fill the gap and help kind of remedially, you know, to kind of help with the symptoms of things, Um, which is, you know, it's kind of ridiculous that that's the case. But it's, it's great. That's why I love tech so much, I think.
3: Yeah, it's filling a gap. And not just in Parkinson's, actually happening in lots of other conditions, but I, I like to think that we as a charity are striding ahead and leading yeah, the way. Definitely.
0: Well, I think for me, you know, we talked about it in the first segment of the show a little bit about how the emergence of amazing new fabrication techniques is, an, is enabling much lower cost production of things tailored to the individual and you know you talked about how no two people with Parkinson's have to exhibit the same conditions which I, I would assume makes treatment incredibly challenging on a, on a scale basis particularly with things like technology you know 20 years ago when producing something had a huge cost base just to get the tooling set up for something if you had it to tailor it to the individual it probably just wasn't viable right for, for most sort of healthcare practices to, to produce that sort of stuff so would you agree with that guys do you think that's kind of one of the things that's making technology's place in treating Parkinson's possible in the context of where it is today?
2: I think it's it's that, but I think it's also the measurement, the fact that you can kind of, you know, the quantified self stuff, which I think is really important because if we're finding we're struggling and we're not having the kind of the medication that we feel that we need to live the lives that we're trying to live, we want to make the best use of that medication. So when you're first diagnosed, you are given your drugs or you're suggested some drugs that you should take. Um, Just sort of in
0: a generic way, like start with these and see agency and get on. It's quite
2: trial and error, I yeah. think, in some cases. And I didn't respond very well to the first one, so they put me on some different ones. Um, and they say, take them at the same time every day, but you don't know what the best time to take them is. And so it was only when I tried a device which was kind of a piece of wearable tech which told me when my off period is, which is when your medication doesn't work and your body is kind of struggling, that I realized I needed to take it at a particular time and if I hadn't tried that, I wouldn't have known I'd have just been using it at the same time every day.
0: I suppose you might have never figured that out right? and it could without... have been really
2: ineffective yeah, without, yeah you know if you take medication at the wrong time it's you might as well really not take it at all to be honest sometimes I think it's uh, it can really really so actually that kind of measurement and knowing your own Parkinson's and knowing your own condition and other conditions is really really vital.
3: It's a really interesting piece of technology that we've been partnering with the company behind it, who are called Global Kinetics. It's called the Parkinson's Kinetograph, or PKG, which is a bit catchier. And it, it, it you work with your clinician, um, so a neurology consultant who will... Prescribe this if that's the right way. I think we're still developing the language around these things um, to people to wear for a period of time and then analyse the data and see what's happening with the off states, as Emma Mm -hmm. described. What's been fascinating for us in working with other clinicians in using the PKG is that it's quite a significant proportion of cases that it's spotting errors or um, improvements that can be made in medication regimes. For people where that trial and error cycle could have lasted. Years, it's really quite profound the difference that it can make, and there's even some cases where it's being looked at as um, really changing the the clinical pathway. So there's a consultant down in Plymouth who's fantastic, who is looking at using it really innovatively. So using it to track how um, how patients are getting on with their Parkinson's on a longer term basis, and at the point through the data that they can see that medication the medication regime isn't working as well, then it can prioritise you for an appointment with the consultant or more appointments with the Parkinson's nurse. So actually, you're getting access to people at the point of need as opposed to what often happens, you get an appointment in six months or in a year or beyond a year, which may or may not be the most appropriate time to get it.
1: Yeah, I suppose that extends out in sort of multiple other ways, because that could extend out into specific activities or or exercises, you know, by through recognising certain patterns in the data. But also, what's interesting, perhaps as a, a cross charity piece is the sort of general concept of stratified medicine. So the ability to analyse someone's human makeup and recognise the sorts of drugs, not, not related to a specific condition necessarily, but just, and I, I, I guess the What's the opportunity there, I guess, to sort of join up with people to learn more about that?
3: I think, you know, tailored medication is something that's being talked about quite a lot in the health tech world. And I think it's one that it's easy to get excited about. It feels like it's still quite some distance away. I think it will happen, but there's a number of things that will happen alongside. There's, there'll be bionic augmentation of the human body. And, and we're talking about these things as being real in our lifetimes, but probably not in the next decade i would
1: say yeah i mean i know one of the things that we've talked about before is that sort of um human augmentation yeah so, it's
0: beginning now isn't it we've had a few examples the on the show yeah
1: world yeah so the north star was one of them where you can have a so you implant something in your body that vibrates every time you face true north um now obviously that's a pretty random example um but yeah. but but the, the, obviously it extends out from there mm. into because once something is implanted in you mm. and you were talking about the before rob about the um professor that has you know like a a chip in his finger to open doors
0: yeah famously the uh, professor of robotics at reading university had a a, an rfid chip in his hand so instead of needing a swipe card he could just put his hand on the door things which obviously freshers thought was just the most amazing thing ever um but it's it's beginning now and I, i actually know some people who have small chips in their hands that enable them to get things like blood oxygen and uh, blood alcohol in real time on their phone in, in an app which is kind of cool as well mm-hmm. particularly if you suffer from you know certain things diabetes for example would be a good you know a good one and, and be incredibly
1: powerful so perhaps that sort of more holistic set of situations that relate to side effects and symptoms and mm-hmm. things like that so, yeah, an interesting world. So um, let's talk about The Big Life Fix, which uh, was broadcast in December. Um, and I, I think we should start with a really important question. What's Simon Reeve like?
2: He's actually really lovely. Like, my mum loved him. My mum, I think everyone's mum loves him. He's that kind of character. But he was very, very sweet. Um and just really kind of looked out for us, so I was I was kind of hoping he'd be nice, but he was lovely. I really liked him.
0: He seemed very earnest on screen. Very
2: earnest, and you know, a little while afterwards, myself and and him went to visit uh, James, who was one of the other people from the story. We went to visit the him when he was in, yeah. Yeah. yeah went to visit him when he was in hospital in London. I thought the fact that he made that effort to so kind of to, to organise that trip and things was a real sum up of the man. So yeah, he was great. Really liked him.
1: Yeah, that's nice. Good. And so, talk to us about the Big Life Fix. How you got involved with it, and kind of what happened.
2: So I, there's a couple of sort of Facebook groups where people kind of chat about Parkinson's and they're kind of good places to kind of air any sort of worries and things like that and someone just posted something, I can't even remember which group it was, but someone posted something saying they'd heard that there was a TV documentary that was looking for people with Parkinson's to apply for it and they would basically decided there were certain problems they'd perhaps like to solve and they thought Parkinson's would be difficult, let's try that one. That sounds like a good challenge. (laughs) Let's give that one to someone, so uh, I applied for it and they screen tested me and all that kind of thing. And they liked me, which was nice. And I posed them a problem that was a real challenge. And I think they said out of all of the challenges, they were most concerned that they wouldn't be able to solve mine because... Well, making someone write again isn't the easiest thing, is it? To be honest, and,
0: and it was broadly unprecedented what they achieved, right? Like, as yeah. far as I... it certainly came across that way watching it. Like, it seemed like everyone was just dazzled that it had been. I think they'd got the as inventor herself,
2: Hayan, in fact, was actually. I mean, still now when I do it, she freaks out. So if we we go somewhere and I am kind of demoing it, she just sits so she can't really look. She gets a bit <laughs> frightened that it's not going to work because it's it's bizarre in the sense that it's uh, so it vibrates into my wrist. Um, it has kind of six vibration points and we're not 100% sure how it works because it it works and now we're kind of trying to backtrack it and work out Right, reverse engineer Yeah, totally Um, but it doesn't stop my tremor so as I kind of approach the paper my hand's still shaking Yeah and everyone thinks it's not going to work and then it does something to my brain that makes me able to write and draw
0: You know, having watched the episode it, it seemed like when you were discussing it with her you were both kind of hypothesizing that maybe it was distracting the brain somehow or you know just just creating just enough of a distraction for you to to enable you to really focus on on maintaining that straight line or or forming a word or whatever and i I could not believe my eyes watching you
2: i still i still struggle to believe it i think when it happens i still kind of feel like it's a bit of a modern day miracle but you're right i think it's um we've kind of worked out from what we know the kind of basics that we know about parkinson's is that parkinson's is almost kind of your body sending your brain sending too many messages to your muscles. And this is almost something that interrupts that. It's like a kind of a white noise almost that sort of like a physical white sort noise. Sort breaks the loop
1: almost. Yeah, somehow. that's
2: the only way we can think I mean, we've spoken to a few people over at UCL yeah. um about it and they're actually doing some user testing at the moment to see whether it works for anyone else or whether I'm just a freak of nature that it works for, so... Uh, and
0: there's, there's one more question that I had about the, the implementation, which they didn't really go into in much detail on, on the show, which was, so she produced this amazing app for you with the watch, right, which had... It almost looked like a music sequencer. Mm. You could sort of change the timing of the vibrations and stuff. Was that something that you had to spend a lot of time tuning? Do you ever change that now? Is it is there kind of like you found your pattern and then that's it or
2: Weirdly, the first setting it was on is the one that seems to work for me. I've tried oh. other settings, but that was the kind of the thing. So you, they so you always of, went back to that yeah, and that's I always just went where it's there. It and wow. it's it's weird because it's kind of set up there's different kind of beats per minute and I've always stayed on the same one, even though I've tried either side and it's either vibrates too much so that you can actually see the vibration in my writing or it's not strong enough. Um, and then the controls on the screen are to do with patterns, so you can set up kind of random patterns, so the six vibration points will vibrate when it kind of hits that point you know when the kind of the scroller hits that point mm-hmm. um and i find a more regular pattern which is what again what it was set on and um, like a kind of a vibration that goes z- 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 z, rather than like a kind of a random pattern because i think my tremor is quite rhythmic and i can only work out that's why that works i mean mm. again no knowledge behind that that's just but it, it's it's always worked in that sense and but it's great because i can dial it up or down and try other things if my brain gets used to it i guess
0: and i i just I hope that people listening to this take the time to go and watch it. I mean, I we found that BBC Stories have on their official YouTube channel have got a kind of short cut of the, of the episode, which is a three-minute version. So if you can't find the time to go and watch an hour of one of the most amazing pieces of TV I think I've ever watched, then please... If you're listening to this, go and watch the three minute version because it's just your such an amazing Your, your greatest hits. Yeah, yeah
2: my, instance, my, dad, my dad keeps calling me to say how many people have watched it because it's had some ridiculous viewership, which is really exciting.
1: It's interesting to talk about your parents. So I'm going to take this opportunity to talk <laughs> about your parents. So you, you did a talk called Being the Story where your yes. parents joined you on stage. Um, so first of all, tell us how the conversation where you asked your parents to join you on stage went.
2: It was about a week before um, I basically, I said, do you want to come and watch this uh, this conference I'm talking at? And they said, yes. And then I went away a bit and there's a one of the guys at Parkinson's UK who works on the sort of video work, a guy called Mike is um, he's my kind of co collaborator on kind of coming up with random ideas for when I do talks and how to stage them. And he said, Oh, wouldn't it be fun if we did this? And we kind of came up with this idea between us when we were sat on a train, we probably had a few to drink. And, um, we kind of chatted about it. And then I called my parents and said, hi, um, <laughs> don't suppose you join me on stage. And my mum had hip problems at that point in time. So holding a piece of string across the stage wasn't the dream scenario for her. But they, I was really pleased with sort of how powerful it ended up being. And they were both sobbing at the end, which was... Uh, very natural response but it was no it was like take your parents to work day it was nice
1: (laughs) what i loved about it and i'm not sure if this is what happened and this was one of the specific questions i wanted to ask you was it looks like just as your dad leaves the stage he asks you if he should tidy up
2: yes (laughs) He did. Um, he genuinely did, which is hilarious because my mum is the tidier of the two. So my dad's probably never tidied like that much in his
1: life. Before. Just while you're in front of all these people, yeah. should we just clear I up this I think I just went,
2: no, no, it's fine, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly what happened.
1: <laughs> and you've also uh, said that, um, uh, that living with Parkinson's has made you say yes to a lot of things. Yes. Uh, could you, <laughs> including that question, <laughs> give us a couple of examples of the most random things you've said yes to.
2: Okay, so I've just come back from a boating trip, so I basically went on a tour ship um, for five days, sailing from Paul to London, with a woman that I didn't know, who contacted me on Twitter and said, did I want to come on an adventure with her?
0: Wow. Just that? Do you want to come on an adventure? <laughs> she pretty
2: much said, can you give me a call, I've got this advent- adventure that I want to go on, and I think you'd be good to go on it with me, and then I spoke to her, and it was fine, but my boyfriend at the time came home, and I was... Um, sat there on the phone to this woman that he didn't know, I didn't know, talking about going on a boating adventure with her, and I think he was a little bit concerned. But uh, I didn't die. It was good. She didn't murder me. We were fine.
1: It does <laughs> it sound free. like a sort of, you know, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's
2: a bit a crazy crime book. List, there's,
1: isn't a, it? Yeah, there's, a, there's a high chance of murdering. <laughs> that's the the start of a true crime yeah.
0: She
2: worked for, like, a big banking organisation, so I decided she probably wouldn't be that crazy. Well, maybe that's the wrong thing to assume. I don't know. Uh,
0: I might. I might require some sort of escrow to take part in something like that that was
2: that was definitely something that i'm really glad that i said yes to because it was an incredible experience i mean we did everything steered the ship you know all sorts of things that was quite an incredible ship as well it had um all the technology on it was set up so that people with different disabilities could do everything on the boat so there was four or five different ways of steering it um that were suitable for different disabilities which is pretty cool
1: and so Tell us a little bit about what's happened with the Emma, as it's called, um, since you uh, made the big life fix.
2: So I'm working as a consultant with Microsoft um, a day a week to kind of uh, help take it forward. So we're looking at tech for Parkinson's. So there's a project at Microsoft now called Project Emma, um, which is really exciting and quite weird. It's quite weird when I have to say to people I'm working on Project Emma. I feel like it's the most kind of, I don't know, geeky and also really... Ridiculous thing I've ever said.
1: Sounds a bit like a sort of gap year, yeah, right? doesn't it? I am working on myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: so that's kind of looking at tech for Parkinson's uh, and kind of hoping to kind of do something with the watch and see whether it works for other people. What else we can add to it? Because if people are wearing a piece of wearable tech, is there something else we can add to it that makes it useful? So uh, we're in the kind of user testing process at the moment, which is quite long um to kind of get results and stuff but it'll be great to see what happens after that and i've just got back from seattle where i went out to go and meet the ceo of microsoft and do an on-stage appearance with him which is the wow bizarrest thing i've ever done but he was an incredible was that
0: redmond hq kind of yeah well wow.
2: yeah he was uh it was, it was at their build conference this year that was uh kind of stood on stage looking giggly for a bit.
0: <laughs> He's a nice guy. and, and lovely. And only yesterday on social media was that fantastic photo of him and Tim Cook and Jeff Bezos sat next to Trump. Did you guys see that? No. Uh, you've never seen three people who wanted to be in a photo less than those three tech CEOs sat with Trump with his big smile. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let's know if you haven't seen that photo yet. It's well worth a look.
2: You're gonna have to look that one up. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Amazing. We always manage to get a little bit of Donald Trump fitted in. <laughs> Jim, Jim tries hard
1: to keep politics out of this, but I'm determined to get at least one Trump mention in per month. So, Julie, coming back to you, what are the more generally most exciting sort of health tech and and tech developments in the world of Parkinson's?
3: There's loads going on, which is you know it's really exciting for us as an organisation who have had a strong service delivery offer but have reached a point where it's really difficult to reach even more people with that. And actually what's super exciting for us is the thought that actually some new technologies might help us reach people that we've never reached before. So something like Projects Emma is a, you know, a, a key example of a big technology organisation organisation getting involved in a field that they probably weren't that interested in before and we are all about supporting that but there's lots of different things so there's a series of apps and devices that are all about tracking Parkinson's so that Parkinson's kinetograph is one example of that where it it just by tracking personal experiences of Parkinson's we learn more about it and that learning is going to feed into understanding that could form part of the cure let's hope then there's things that we've talked about that are, are to do with management of symptoms so things like the emma but also there's um things like there's a thing called the gyro glove which is being produced which helps stabilize hand tremor by using uh, little gyroscopes, which uh, there's lots of really interesting things like that. And then there's technology, which is much more about the big data piece. And we're pretty sure that the answer to the question, how can data solve Parkinson's is out there. And what we need is that all of the different data sets, so electronic patient records, um, the, the data that's being collected from the devices I've just mentioned, if it could be brought together, there are answers in it. And we think that there's a role in bringing organisations together to try and find those answers. So there's an awful lot around, you know, you can talk about IBM Watson and what they've been achieving with cancer. There's suddenly an interest in Parkinson's and other neurological conditions where there will be answers that there haven't been before. They're all really cool examples. And I think the, the stuff that I find most interesting is
2: things that kind of make tech accessible for people without being a separate piece of kit almost so i mean i would say this but microsoft are doing quite a lot of really interesting things around making things accessible for everyone there's also some guys out in america that have basically uh, they've made this thing called zogo a company called banson labs and they've made this piece of kit that allows people in wheelchairs to control home equipment and gaming devices and stuff like that so it's people using the kit that they would regularly use to control things that are you know around the house and things like that so anything that is doesn't feel kind of special to people with disabilities you know it's just it's just good tech for me is exciting
1: so sort of, yeah all the smart home stuff sort of just joining that up and making mm. sort of improving day-to-day life
3: yeah yeah really relevant for, for Parkinson. so one of the side effects of Parkinson's that people often don't realise is that some people get uh, a quieter voice over time and so actually speech becomes harder and they tend to feel more socially isolated ultimately because they're excluded from conversations and it's the kind of reminder tech that we've got used to so things that remind you to do things either through like vibrations or alarms really really helpful already exists things that help people who are struggling to write so actually the speech to text stuff that's got so much better in the last few years and the ability to yeah command things via voice is going to be pretty revolutionary for a lot of people with Parkinson's there's just any number of I think what we would now call pretty everyday bits of mm. tech that are and increasingly will make a difference and
2: it's great that those things are, you know the fact that more people are kind of using dictate on their phone and, and things like that because as someone with a condition or a disability I don't like to say disability because I don't feel like I'm disabled but with challenges <laughs> it's nice to feel like you're using what everyone else is using and that you're not using something special so I've started dictating on my phone but only because my friends are and so it's like you know it feels like it's okay to do it and I'm not doing it because I have to it's because it's easier
1: Hmm. I feel like I should definitely start doing that
2: (laughs) you do feel like a bit of a weirdo and you can't dictate certain messages because you would probably be thrown off a train but it really depends what you're saying
1: I spend a lot of time sort of (laughs) not getting on with stuff because I'm in transit between Mm. places and so that would you know
0: yeah i still can't quite do it i occasionally dictate text messages in the car when i'm driving and that and it always works better than i'm expecting it to and i'm always left thinking why don't i do that more often yet still haven't quite changed the
1: habit Mostly I use it to send offensive ones, like when I'm with family at Christmas, like just like around. Yeah, just, to, But but the fact that it now gets them completely right should be to, sign enough. don't <laughs> really
2: enunciate, though, I've noticed. I don't enunciate enough when I'm speaking to various things, so it just gets it completely wrong most of the time.
0: Yeah, apparently some people's voices and just their natural speaking tone and stuff don't get picked up well and other people have no issues at all. Like I have a friend... Uh, called Ryan, who works for Kamarama, and he has an absolute nightmare. He's got a slight Geordie accent, and um, it doesn't work. Like, And maybe it's a regional thing, I don't know. But yeah, Ryan, or, or Brian, as he's sometimes referred to, has endless difficulties with the uh, voice-to-text devices in his life. Well,
1: I guess he just gets rid of them. He has to ask someone he knows to say something. Could you just say this to that?
0: Yeah. Could you just tell Siri, "I need a timer for my dinner, please."
1: Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's he's a, the Amazon Echo is only a timer, really, isn't it? No, it does many, many wonderful things. But for me, it's mostly. Or it a timer. Certainly, will one day anyway. So, sort of maybe to wrap up, really, um, one of the things I found really um, that, that really struck me from from where I saw you speaking was how you talked about how you sort of kind of have come to see Parkinson's as sort of paradoxical gift and and it's opened up a huge amount of opportunities for you so I suppose like just if you could talk about maybe the sort of initial emotions and how you sort of came through it and and how you've sort of seen it as something that opens up opportunities for you.
2: Yeah sure so I mean like I said when I was diagnosed that kind of few Um, you know lack of panic was quite bizarre to me I was expecting to be more stressed about it but actually I think some of it came from the fact that I was actually working for an agency that was designing the Parkinson's UK website at that point in time so which
1: is incredible like the bizarre chances of that
2: (laughs) so I, I think I wasn't directly working on it but everywhere around me everyone was and I just had an awareness of Parkinson's so it wasn't such a shock because I thought that sounds like what I've got. And actually that when they then said it was that I was relieved. Um, I have an incredible support network through sort of the nurses and the doctors and the consultants and group of friends who basically decided they were going to still take the mick out of me. My junior at work at that point in time said to me, trust you to get an old person's disease. <laughs> and I thought, great, that's how I want to be treated because that's how you used to treat me before.
1: Yeah. His
2: girlfriend went ballistic at him for saying that, but I think it was worth it because it got it on the back of my book. So uh, he got a quote out of it. But um, um Yeah, I think it, it kind of set me off on the right path. My family were kind of really supportive. My dad has a degenerative eye condition and does everything and does more than he ever did before and it just I kind of took his lead I guess and decided that I wasn't going to let it get me and I definitely had a wobble Uh, probably about six months in I just suddenly thought I started saying no to everything and that's where the saying yes to everything came about I know it's a huge cliche a lot of people do it but I just thought I just have Parkinson's like everything else in my life is good and I'm very very lucky i've got to kind of i can't if you know if you have something for life you can't let it ruin your life you are letting it ruin your life if you let it win and you have the choice to let it do that so i thought okay i'm going to start saying yes to stuff i'm going to stop not going out with my friends and things because i hadn't worked out how i wanted to talk about it and so i couldn't spend time with my friends until i knew how to talk about it um and from that came all the kind of speaking opportunities because i found a voice that sometimes people don't find yeah
0: I mean like, most people are incapable of public speaking they find it paralyzing right so to do that in any walk of life is an incredible achievement like it's something it took me years to become confident with and I, I really enjoy it now but it's funny how you have to kind of let go a bit don't you to mm. kind of get there sometimes
1: and I think you know seeing you speak and it being your story is what one of the talks that you did was, was called I think um um or, or living the story being the story I got there in the end um you know it is incredibly powerful and and you know sitting here next to you listening to you speak about about you know sort of throwing yourself into it and saying yes it's 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 truly inspiring and and mm-hmm. um, and and I'm sure that lots of other people living with parkinsons find that but not just people living with parkinsons I get
2: some really nice emails and and messages and I I think you know it I was kind of I always wanted to kind of try and educate people that didn't know about parkinsons and I was always concerned about the parkinsons community because I thought they're my harshest critic because they know what it's like as well and they might you know I'm positive about it they might struggle with the fact that I'm being positive about it they might be struggling themselves and not feel that way but the messages I get from people who say you've given us a platform is you know it's just it's lovely and I feel like I have a duty to them to kind of carry on so
1: I feel like that's a really lovely note to end on but just a little bit too nice <laughs> so what, what I think we should do is ask ask Julie uh, what what the most difficult thing about working with Emma is
3: wow <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, Quite that she, carefully. <laughs> it's that she's so bloody good at everything sorry I shouldn't swear it's that she's so ridiculously good at everything so so we brought Emma in to work with us she's already done a, a bunch of incredible ambassadorial stuff for us on a voluntary basis so we brought her in to work with us because she really gets this technology stuff and whilst Parkinson's is an, UK as an organisation is, is into technology overall there's not that many people who understand the health tech field so we brought her on that basis we've also brought her in because she's an amazing designer and an amazing writer so i've kind of got three in one she's like our most effective member of the team <laughs> uh, at the moment um and it, it, it is challenging in that i think it makes makes me look bad <laughs> shut up
0: <laughs> <laughs> what a beautiful note to end on um uh, yeah i mean i look i so i I watched the episode with great interest and I'm I'm not shy to say I found it truly emotional, that moment when, to your own disbelief, and sorry, I've forgotten the name of the inventor who was high amazing, end. to hands just her reaction was so powerful, yeah. right, as the straight line came out and, and, you know, you wrote your name, you know, there it was Emma once and you, you almost couldn't believe it yourself, so you thought, I'll just go again, <laughs> just in case, you read it for a second time and I think you said something like, "Look, no, it wasn't a fluke, no, you know, it, it actually works and it just, I found it really powerful and... Um, One of the other things you said was that you hated, you know, you talked about how after a while in meeting you would go in and just meet it head on, which I thought was really interesting about how, um, you know, you're a female creative director, which is something that's quite unusual in this industry, which we we talked about earlier. And I think we all want to see change and how the assumption that people, you thought people were making probably rightly was that you were nervous. Right. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was just what an unfortunate situation. I, I thought it was incredibly brave thing to do right to go into the room and just meet it head on like that and um you know, I've been kind of in awe of, of of having the opportunity to talk to you today. But the other thing that you said was that the thing that pisses you off the most is when people kind of look at you doe-eyed and kind of treat you with some sort oh, no, of doe sympathy. Fine.
2: I don't want doe-eyed. It's the tilty-headed look. <laughs> doe eyeds fine. I'll well, take doe-eyed. I tilt my head when I
0: listen to people, so I, I was really like, <laughs> I need to sit really straight today. But no, um, I just I would end personally by saying thank you to both of you so much for joining us. It's been incredible, not least to have some female guests for a change, but to have two amazing female guests with such a fascinating story to tell, and it's just been an absolute pleasure to
1: amazing because we actually know some women is that that why it's (laughs) amazing indeed yeah so any final thoughts Jim uh no I was just delightful to have you here and uh, now we should go and have a drink because that's a good thing to do thank you
0: so much for listening and check back next month for episode five a podcast about how technology is changing our lives with Robert Bailgrave and Jim Bowles that hairbrush (laughs) I know right brilliant when Jim sent me that I was genuinely pressing myself I was just like what's
2: going on there like you know whether your hair's frizzy you know whether you're brushing too hard yeah because it hurts
3: yeah
0: (laughs) it's funny isn't it so much of the quantified self stuff is a bit like that Yeah. it's like Mm. I kind of know I've sat on the sofa all day like there's levels (laughs) isn't there of like
2: I feel like you'd know if a bandage need changing as well I mean there'd be seepage
1: (laughs) (laughs) Mm. (laughs) I watched this yellow yellow posse board I'm really glad (laughs) that's recorded um,
3: it's big life fix, by the way, just to go back it. Yeah, in there. big life fix. Yeah. Um
1: what did I say? Big life.
3: Big, big fix it. You uh-huh. were confusing it with Jim will fix it, which is
1: <laughs> big, big Life fix. fix. It only says big fix in here. Uh,
3: big
1: Big Life fix. Don't want to make fix.
3: BBC angry. Thank
0: you, no, that's uh, that's a good correction.